Good morning, everyone. My name is Hassan Akmal. I am the Executive Director of Industry Relations and Career Strategies at Columbia University's School of Professional Studies. I'm the host of our behind-the-scenes podcast series, which consists of a number of interviews with industry professionals discussing provocative career-related topics to set the stage for our students. The topic of today's podcast is Networking Strategies for Career Changers. I'm here with Pedro Manrique, CEO of DRP Systems Incorporated, an organizational development consultant. Pedro, welcome. Thank you so much, Hassan. Hello, everybody. Hope everybody is well. I am so happy to be here. Pedro is coming here from Los Angeles. We're happy to have him. So tell us, Pedro, what are some networking strategies for career changers? It's a great question. Networking strategies are needed to support career changes at different stages in our lives. And I think that's an important thing to differentiate ourselves about and to consider as well. We have people starting off their career who need a different network compared to those in mid-career seeking to make a change. We have people who are transitioning from one job to another in the same industry. And that, again, is not trivial. And then we have others who are changing jobs and industries at the same time. At each turn, with each instance, you'll need a slightly different strategy to tackling your career change. Lastly, let us not forget, even people seeking to retire might have a different outlook and be interested in part-time work to keep themselves active and healthy. What about if you're not even looking for a job, Pedro? Like, for example, what if I'm at a company? Can there be su- such a thing as, like, an expiration date? Should, you know, everyone should kind of know their expiration. You know, what if there's no opportunity? Should I be networking? Constantly. I think people should be networking constantly. And the networking can happen in the most um, in- inappropriate or not necessarily inappropriate, in the unique and oddest places. I just stopped off. I had a coffee here at, at Columbia. I met with somebody, shared a table, offered my table. The fellow turned out to be from Spain. And we all of a sudden, we had a networking opportunity together. I showed him my family ring, which is from the south of Spain. It was my father's. And it turns out we have uh, friends in the south of Spain in Jaén. And, of course, everybody has somebody they know in Madrid. Ah, uh, I've always wanted to go to Alhambra. I want to go to the south of Spain and watch the flamenco dancing. Fantastic. Um, so, well, how is it different for new professionals? Great question. Someone starting their career straight out of university likely uses their career services department to write a resume, prepare for a career phase, facilitate interviews, and even complete mock interviews on campus. It's a great resource, and I think it's a lifelong resource that people should really leverage more effectively. Absolutely. And, you know, when I went to college, there was no career services department, <laughs> and so I was on my own. I had my older brother as a mentor who was pretty tough on me. So I, absolutely. And, you know, I would say, um, or would you say, um, you know, for new professionals, they start in a new position, right? It's their first time, you know, kind of getting used to the culture of a company. Should they be networking within the same company? Absolutely. And I'm all about networking, but you've got to network authentically. And what I mean by that is don't start building stacks of business cards. You really have to build relationships from day one. Because I can't stress enough, every interaction with somebody is an opportunity to network and to elevate your brand and to leave a lasting impression. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about relationships, not really business cards. And that's how you build an authentic network. Exactly. So what about mid-career? Well, someone in mid-career might have their own network of professionals, which is great, and we can reach out to them individually, and colleagues who could help them contact somebody they know, for example. Scope of work could be transitioning from one job to another, or job to job in the same industry, or even a new job in a different industry. And that requires a different sort of skill set, and maybe arguably a different sort of network. But don't be intimidated and leverage the people around you. And when somebody is retiring, for example, transitioning out of uh, a full-time workflow into maybe a part-time or even just stopping. They should leave themselves open to uh, retirement in a staged passion. So, for example, transitioning into retirement, but somebody might want to seek active uh, employment part-time. 
I have adjunct faculty. Many of them are part-time, kind of semi-retired. They travel. They take on a teaching assignment. They move on and so on and so forth. And again, the scope of work could include volunteering in a local science museum. I had a fellow that I worked with, a part-time professor, who volunteered at a science museum in downtown Los Angeles, and he was very active. We have other people that volunteer at the Pasadena Playhouse, where I live, and so on. So there's a community playhouse with other opportunities to be engaging in different types of teaching assignments. Absolutely. And I had one student that was a loan officer in a bank for about 20 years, had only seen banking, and um, became a student um, uh, focused on human resources, right? So, for example, our MS in human capital management, and um, just was frustrated, said, Hassan, you know, how in the world am I going to land a career in human resources when I have no experience whatsoever? And I said, contrary to that, um, you have a ton of experience, right? You have to focus on your transferable skills. And so what we did is we highlighted all those transferable skills, right? For example, um, being uh, those interpersonal skills, the analytical skills, being client-centric. This individual had amazing customer service, communication skills, presentation skills. And then what we did is we focused on human resources positions in the financial services area as well as at banks, because obviously that person would have an edge with that understanding. If this individual, Pedro, came to you and said, you know, imagine you're a, you're a senior HR manager, said, look, I'm looking to pick your brain, you know, just reach out to you on LinkedIn. How would you respond or how do you respond to folks that reach out to you for informational interviews on LinkedIn? I think the example you've highlighted and the real world context is fantastic and it offers many layers of wisdom. Let me qualify that. The concept of transferable skills applies to any industry, and it applies to any individual, and that cannot be underestimated. So those soft skills are sought after by every employer on the planet. Now, in this case, this individual with 20 years of experience in HR, they're a fantastic uh, mentor for others at junior level, at management level, and likely at, at executive level. There's a concept of emotional intelligence, and it's quite likely that this person has highly developed emotional intelligence completely transferable skill. So I would encourage that person through the informational interview to figure out what are their passions. And that sounds like a cheesy cliche sort of context, but it really stems from core values. So if they're trying to reboot and reconfigure a path for themselves, I would really encourage them to look at their core values and start building layers of their interests and where that could take them professionally. But to not underestimate and to certainly champion and showcase right at the forefront they're highly transferable skills. But I'm, I'm really pleased that you brought up such a great example. Pedro, yeah, and I think you were the one telling me business cards will change, but transferable skills remain. Absolutely. They last a lifetime, and they stem from relationships that are authentic. Absolutely, Hassan. So, Pedro, what are the right networks? It's a very open-ended question, but I'll be super concise, and then I'll build from that. The right networks support your goals and outcomes. That's it. They provide access to people and experiences that can get you moving in the direction you seek. It really boils down to that. Now, I have to circle back and kind of elaborate just a little bit on outcomes. What I see people stressing about with outcomes is that they tie them to these hard dates. And it's almost, almost a futile exercise, perhaps a useless exercise, to tie these sort of moving parts to, to fixed dates. Tie things to outcomes. Tie goals to outcomes. And then you can maybe scale it back and, and finesse it so that it, it lands in a particular business quarter or within six months or within the year and so on and so forth. But ge- be generous to yourself. Don't kick yourself in the teeth too much and pace yourself and leverage all of these different types of networking opportunities. There's a rich opportunity through uh, 
community colleges, through universities, through chambers of commerce that have luncheons pretty much every day of the week. Expand your scope. Be open to experiencing experiences with others. And just brand yourself as somebody who's literally interested in learning with humility and gratitude. And just circle back and start fleshing out your goals and tying them to outcomes. I really like the sound of that. Actually, earlier I mentioned you have to know your ex- expiration date. And I almost want to retract that statement because I said it in light of uh, an individual I knew who worked for Google. And what he said was, Hassan, you know what? I had a great experience at Google. I loved my team. I grew professionally and I grew personally. But I was a small fish in a huge pond, and he wanted to adopt a different organization um, to take a, a more of a more of a significant role strategically. So I think instead of saying that you have to know your expiration date, I think you have to connect your own personal goals with the mission of the company at the right time. Um, and reality um, is unpredictable, right? So, for example, the right time for one person who is about to have uh, a family may not be the right time for somebody else. So I think you have to really look at sort of your own growth traits and, and reflect on those and, and really align the, the, the and, and really tailor sort of your career developmental plan for you and for nobody else, um, irrespective of um, all those different components, external components that you may not ex- necessarily have control over. Let me build on that. Hassan, again, I think you've nailed so many layers of wisdom in what you've just captured there. The thing that comes to mind when I hear that is people, again, obsessing about having a finite track and getting things done by a certain date and then saying, well, you know what? I need to go this way or that way. And the part that I really resonated with me about goals and really values that people have and how they align with the company. I can't stress that out. I have physically left consulting jobs because my core values were not in alignment with the way the company was going or with the way some executives were behaving. So I decided to turn a page very professionally, gratitude and, and humility, thank them for the opportunity, but moved on. And that needs to be in alignment because ultimately at the end of the day, we need to be happy in the workplace. We can't really function otherwise. And we could probably survive maybe three or six months, but that mindset isn't sustainable. So people really need to be open to the fact also that they evolve as people. Their interests evolve. Their core values likely remain the same and pick them wisely because they never fail you, but their interests will evolve. So, for example, early on in my career as an electrical engineer, I was stoked and pumped to sit literally in front of a screen for 8, 10, 12 hours. That was my gratitude. That was my zone, and I loved it. And I developed a lot of great skills, and I developed a lot of great friendships and relationships, but now ask me to do that, and I'd probably go nuts, and I need to be sedated to kind of get through that day. So that's not an option for me. I really like now interacting with people and grooming and mentoring others. That, for me, is really exciting, and it pumps me up. But here I am, fast forward 20-plus years into my career, and my interests have evolved, but my core values have always remained the same. Absolutely. You sound like my older brother who can sit in front of a computer for for almost 20 hours programming. Um, Well, what do you think about students who do informational interviews and expect to have a job or or try to give their resume too soon? It it kind of ties in with this whole finite deadline thing, right? So they think that they have to get a job out of an informational interview or out of a mentorship session, and that's absolutely not the truth. Uh, Shouldn't it be organic? Absolutely. Hassan, it's amazing the way we're connected really at the hip. Let me qualify that. I had participated and volunteered with the local chapter, uh, chapter of the International Coaching Federation in Los Angeles. And what came out of that was I learned that they have chemistry meetings. Coaches, professional coaches really call it that, that first meeting. It's a chemistry meeting. So arguably the informational meeting, be it for a job or even just a mock informational meeting, it should strive to, uh, to have an outcome where you establish chemistry 
and you start building an authentic network because nothing will be wasted if at the very least, even if you don't get the job, you still have a really good person in your corner sometime in the future. And, you know, even better, if you really have a strong backbone and you refer somebody qualified in the future, that could only elevate your brand further. And it's not about being self-centric, but it really is about overall encompassing, thinking of a bigger picture and how you might leverage talent and relationships somewhere down the line. And it certainly doesn't help. It doesn't hurt to help others in the process. So where do we find such networks or where do we find these networks? Such a simple question, but such a, a, a helpful thing to consider. They are literally all around us. It really starts with the mindset. You have to see them for what they are. They begin with our persons that we know, friends, family, neighbors, workplace, community, and even online. So the key here is to be open and to be social at your level. So you don't want to come off as somebody disproportionately aggressive or disproportionately confrontational in how you interact with people, but be social at your level. And then reach out to friends and brainstorm with them. Uh, But start by being open, proactive, and social in the process. Think of it as a game of dominoes. Picture the dominoes where you lock in numbers they have to match, and then the other end has a different number. Start trying to build that domino set over time so that the pieces lead to another connection. But again, be open and be social. Yeah, it reminds me, I always tell students, when it comes to your career, it's chess, not checkers, <laughs> right? So I like the domino example. Um, what about like luncheons or things like that? Um, are there, what, what, kind of, what kind of networking events do you suggest? Great question. I think uh, chambers of commerce are fantastic. Even town hall meetings with community organizations. Usually these community organizations are led by older people that are wickedly well-connected. Uh, neighborhood council, in Los Angeles and Sherman Oaks, the fellow who's been chairing that for 30-plus years, he's intimately connected with and highly influential in the political landscape in Los Angeles. So those are great opportunities. Another example that comes to mind is the Audio Engineering Society. If they have local chapters of meetings, and I gravitate to that because of my engineering background, attend one of the key uh, luncheon opening uh, events where people are invited, free or not free, do, a, do your part and try to be there, and interconnect with the speaker, interconnect with the other people participating, More often than not, there are the players that are leaders in that space, in that community. And other opportunities that have sprung up, which are really eclectic and rich, hang around places like WeWork and other uh, business incubators. They they have great, rich, diverse opportunities to interact with all kinds of people. Offer up a a meet and greet, find out when they have their meet and greets, maybe even offer up your own, bring in some pizza at WeWork, super informal. I think they even serve beer there on campus (laughs) at different floors. So it's really fun and rich really diverse set of eclectic different entrepreneurs and they have a different mindset typically the people that are in these types of venues they really think out of the box and when that happens they're more open to risk and collaboration they're not delusional and derelict in their approach but they really are more open to interaction and different types of collaboration so those are great places rework and business incubators fantastic locations to network so pedro you are a former president of the Sherman Oaks Chamber of Commerce in Los Angeles. I have been to some of those Chambers of Commerce events in Illinois, in Los Angeles, and here in New York City. They can be intimidating for a student, especially for an international student that uh, has never seen such an event before. You walk into a room, you see a room of executives, you don't know who anyone is, you have name tags, and that's about it. I had a supervisor that said to me, Hassan, fill your cup a third full Talk to somebody, right? If the conversation is not going very well or they're the wrong person or you have nothing in common, make an excuse and just go get <laughs> another drink. I got to go. I'm going to go fill up my drink. Would you like something? 
Um, no, but in all seriousness, what kind of advice do you have? How can students get traction and really showcase their value in those kinds of settings to organizations and, more importantly, people? It's a really great scenario, and I could sort of picture myself early on. So what I would suggest to people who are really feel intimidated is to pair up with a buddy. Go there with a friend that they, they have a good relationship with. Go there and say, here's what we plan to do. We plan to meet a handful of people, establish some connections, and learn. If you go open, if you go there with an open spirit, people can kind of feel it. If you go in pent up and kind of you know intimidated, that'll come across that way. So go in with very low expectations, not to be um, unambitious, but open yourself up to again that could be a soft chemistry meeting, where you have interactive opportunities to deal with people, and pick one point where the speaker says something that resonates with you. And go up to him and say, you know what, I really identified with this and started having a discussion. And from that will come a very authentic conversation, an exchange of business cards, not to be tossed in the basket, but to be followed up with and to be thankful for. And then leverage LinkedIn. If you don't have a profile, by all means, please set up a profile on LinkedIn. So once you've hit up that luncheon and you've gathered a couple business cards, circle back, connect. If they have a profile on LinkedIn, connect with them. Say thank you. It was great to meet you. Look forward to meeting in the future. Boom. And then maybe as students, you might even have some idea of what you could talk about at one of these luncheons. Offer up some intern services. Offer up to bring in a career services person. Just open up the network so that there's some continuous traction. But again, be authentic in the process. And I find that those suggestions actually could work at Career Week as well, right? You have so many panelists. You can easily walk up to them, talk about something that they said that resonated with you, and really go from there. And I have used LinkedIn in my own career to just research job titles. For example, say I wanted to be a university director of career services. I could search under that, and I could find people who have those titles and actually look at their career trajectories. It might surprise you, some of the career trajectories. Not, not all of them are quite linear. So you can learn a lot about people, and you could even speak to it when you do meet them and say, hey, I, you know, I read that you actually worked for Met Life, or I, I read that you worked at Google really early on in your career. What was that experience like? Great. So what else can you do as far as, like, doing your homework? Well, you know, it's important. Demonstrate that you understand the needs of your host. So go online, identify what they're doing, where they're going. If they have a published roadmap, say, you know what, I really believe in that vision. Have you thought about this? Or when are you going to have another open house? I'd love to be a part of that. Maybe I could bring some additional professionals with me. What are your current needs? Uh, but always with an overtone of authentic humility and gratitude. That's really key. Demonstrate how you support the current needs of the company and then how you can grow to support anticipated future needs. Stack the deck in your favor authentically and take inventory of the skills you have and those you need to develop and create a plan of how you're going to develop and culture, cultivate each of them going forward and figure out how you're going to contribute to support the needs of your employer before contacting and meeting them. And to help yourself kind of develop a nice rich flow about all of that, create some bullet points for yourself and then stitch a story around each of those bullet points. There's nothing worse than going into an interview with some pre-canned, pre-baked thoughts of what you want to talk about, how you're going to talk about it. Be open and try to attach a story about your personal life that builds from what they're saying and how your needs can meet their needs and build stories around things that they're, they're requiring. And, and it'll, be a, it'll open itself up to really organic discussion. And it'll actually differentiate yourself from the masses because you're identifying a business need, but you're interacting on a very powerful human level. 
you hit on a really strong point because I think a lot of students, when they're asked, you know, give us an example of a project that you worked on or something like that, um, whether it's in a formal interview or just casually, they'll they'll share examples, but the examples may not necessarily be applicable to that organization. So a stronger example would be something that, for example, could apply at that organization. Um, it's almost as if you're you're you you come to the org- to to the interview or you come to that meeting or you come to that discussion with an idea, and the idea can be something new, something interesting, that really just focuses on filling a gap or filling a void. There's a good chance that that person who who you're speaking to will say, "Wow, you know, I like the way that this thought process is going. I like like I like what I'm hearing, and and I like what this person did at this other company. And although we don't have that exact position." Perhaps it's a job proposal, right? It shows creativity, it shows ambition, and it shows that this person can think outside the box. And I think that that can impress somebody, right, R- rather than just coming to them saying, um, this is the position I saw on your website, this is the position that I want to apply for. I have, I have actually in a, encountered a, a number of students who have written job proposals that were off the charts, but the company was so impressed with the kind of thinking that they ended up hiring them for a different position and gave them a stretch project to, to almost fill that position or to, to fill that sort of void that they had. That's a fantastic example, and kudos to that person and, and even kudos to that employer for being open to that. Let me offer another example, may I? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So a company needs an entry-level project coordinator, but it's growing at a super fast pace. That's a classic example with probably a, a privately-owned company by one or more entrepreneurs. They anticipate revenue growing at a rate of 25% per year, and again, classic entrepreneurial stuff, adding maybe even five people to their program management team, which in effect creates a huge opportunity. So this is a great opportunity to demonstrate gratitude and how you'd be a great fit, and then expand on how you plan to develop your skills through additional education and mentoring. And more importantly, embrace being mentored and shepherded by staff in place. That's huge, but you got to do that with an authentic attitude. You can't do that to placate your potential employer and say, you know what? I would love to learn from so-and-so. Uh, give me an opportunity. Let me build from that. Demonstrate authentic emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and pace yourself in the process. But be exclusively open to exactly what that employer needs. Very nice. So along those lines, how do you network? Um, or how, how, can your, how can you sort of develop your skills to align with the scope of a career change? Great question. When transitioning from one job to another within the same industry, your network is likely in place and can be used almost immediately, right out of the gate. That's very common. Now, however, when starting in a new industry with little experience, take inventory of your transferable skills from prior experience. That's huge. And that's what you need to showcase and highlight when you're interacting and meeting with people there. There could be unamendable pieces to stitch together to support your candidacy in the short term and make a commitment to be a quick study, ramping up and anticipating needs for the long term with product knowledge, industry knowledge, so that you can mitigate perceived concerns and risk with your potential employer because they will have some concerns which would be authentic and genuine but you got to leverage those in a way that showcases how you want to build with the company in an effective manner be open to any and all learning experiences from everybody under their company and think about possible sport activities and clubs where additional skills were developed and applied in my case martial arts transferable skills leadership discipline sticking the finish and all that stuff i highlight those uh, tenacity, those are highly transferable skills. Great. Net plus work equals network. Right? I love that. No one ever said it was going to be easy. All right. So final thoughts about networking for career changers, Pedro. I say be open, be authentic, 
start by building a foundation from your core values. When you start with that and you start stitching your goals and your outcomes, building from your core values, you can open yourself up to many more opportunities. Stay open, keep your eye on the ball, establish rich, authentic networks by building relationships, forget about obsessing and collecting business cards, tie your goals to outcomes, don't necessarily obsess about hard dates, unless you have some financial obligations, those are realities you can't deny. But if you have a bit of a luxury to kind of expand further, plan out, map out some of your goals, create a mind map where you draw a squiggly line on a piece of paper and start adding tentacles and adding layers, progressively interesting layers where you prioritize your path. And leverage every stitch of an interaction you've had with others. The network that you build is the one that is authentic and built from relationships. And they exist in so many different layers. And embrace undercurrents of opportunities and happenstance. I can't stress that enough. Volunteerism has opened up opportunities for me that I had never imagined I'd be a part of. Blue Ribbon Commission with Mayor Garcetti's office, uh, giving up and doing a community walk for the homeless. There's really rich opportunities to develop transferable skills, and candidly, there's great opportunities to nourish your spirit and to learn and to evolve as a professional. Make a long-term commitment to improving yourself, be authentic, learn from others, and that's a really rich pathway to go. Start with that, and I think you'll be on good footing. Very nice. I got two final questions for you real quickly that I want to throw in. One, virtual networking, right? So how is it different online? How important is communication in those messages? And any any advice for, for our listeners? Hassan, you gave me goosebumps. What a great question. LinkedIn comes to mind immediately. May I share a couple examples? Please. Please. Okay, great. I had a fellow who came up to me exclusively on LinkedIn. I had worked with him all on, on a con- consulting assignment. He reached out to me before Thanksgiving. Hi, I'm looking for work. Do you know anybody? And immediately I thought of another client, and I connected that client's director of engineering with this candidate. They connected only through LinkedIn. This was before Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving, they were made on site. They had an interview, and he physically started working the first week of December. Now, of course, that's a wonderful story, but it's a reality and the power of what LinkedIn can do because that candidate had his profile set up on LinkedIn, very rich experience. That director of engineering had his profile set up, gave that candidate an opportunity to kind of vet out and up and dissect what that person brings to the table and say how they can kind of interact and help out. So it gave everybody an opportunity to be really super effective, 24 hours a day, asynchronously, without having to meet on site. And there's huge value to that. But when you're strapped with resources and time, very powerful approach. Great. Any do's and don'ts when it comes to social media and networking? Separate your Facebook world from LinkedIn. <clears throat> I have to qualify that. And, you know, temper what you post on, link- on Facebook as well, because employers go on Facebook. Be professional throughout your process. Try to build up authentic recommendations. It's one thing to get an endorsement on LinkedIn where somebody presses a button. If you're blessed and you've really established some rich relationships, build on recommendations from others, colleagues, directors. I've had my own supervisor while working for him ask me to recommend him on LinkedIn. It was a stressful environment. He was concerned about, he was concerned about getting fired, so I did it to help him out. It was very awkward for me, but I did it, right? And <laughs> sure. so it played out. Or but vice versa, right? Because <laughs> then we'll think you're looking for a job. Yes, exactly. That's true. I didn't think about that. So, you know, those are awkward opportunities, but be authentic. Even when you offer a recommendation, take your time to really flesh out what that person brings to the table. Maybe top three, what's different about them. Post that on LinkedIn for them. They, they can certainly return the favor for you. Build those recommendations. Those are powerful tools because that means somebody, some human at the other end has taken the time to reflect, introspect, and think, what does this person bring to the table? 
And more often than not, you'll get a lot of balanced combinations of soft skills and hard skills. So those things are great, great way to showcase your diversity. But be proactive. Don't be passive. Be proactive. Keep building your network, but fundamentally totally separate your Facebook from your LinkedIn. Employers look at both. They likely start with LinkedIn. And if it's maybe for a, a highly scrutinized security job or an executive type position, they'll go back to Facebook and take a peek and see how you're behaving on Facebook. Be mindful of that. You're right. You're right. It's very easy to click endorse all, right? But a recommendation is much more meaningful. And people do read those recommendations because you learn a lot about the individual. Well, thank you, Pedro, for coming all the way from Southern California and joining us for this podcast, as well as for Career Week 2018. Thank you to all the listeners. Our next podcast is on demystifying mentorship with Mark Carter, the founder of 180.